want to get right into the message this morning. We've got a lot of ground to cover. I want to invite you to join me in the book of Nehemiah. If you're not sure where Nehemiah is, it's in the Old Testament. Um, it follows uh, pretty much on the heels of the, the one and two books of Samuel and Kings and Chronicles. Uh, it's nestled between the e-books, uh, Ezra to the left and Esther to the right. So that should give you some, some way to get your bearings on where the book of Nehemiah is. As you can see, we're beginning a new message series uh, that I've titled Revive, Rebuild, Renew. And as we walk our way uh, through the book of Nehemiah, we'll, we'll learn some valuable lessons, I, I trust, about all of those things, about reviving and about rebuilding and about renewing. You know, as we think about the dawning of a new year, we naturally think of, uh, of new beginnings, you know, out with the old, uh, in with the new, all of that kind of stuff. And I really think that's why the story of Nehemiah is such a good place to begin our new year together. I mean, really, who among us is not in need of an occasional new beginning as we journey through the, the different uh, periods of life. Uh, some of us deal with relationships that need to be rebuilt. Some are in the process of rebuilding businesses. Others are seeking to rebuild integrity after exercising poor judgment. Some are seeking to rebuild after divorce, many who have lost loved ones in their life are desperately trying to adjust to a, a new normal and, and they're trying to rebuild their lives after such, a, such an occasion. Some are rebuilding self-confidence and, and hope for a better future. And I think in one way or another, most of us will spend some part of this year trying to rebuild something. And here's the good news. It's never too late for a new beginning. Look at the person next to you and say, it's never too late. You're going to hear that a lot this morning. It is never too late for a new beginning. Nehemiah lived 2,500 years ago and he wrote the book, if you will, on rebuilding. And I want you to keep this in mind as we study the phenomenal facts of the book of Nehemiah. He was not some kind of super saint. He wasn't a preacher. He wasn't a prophet. Nehemiah was a civil servant. Just an ordinary guy who applied some universal principles that enabled him to rebuild a broken city and in the process, a lot of broken hopes. Nehemiah's story unfolds during a, a time when the nation of Israel 
was divided into two kingdoms. There was the northern kingdom and there was the southern kingdom. A group of people called the Assyrians swept away the northern kingdom into captivity in, in 722 B.C. and they never returned. The southern kingdom lasted until about 556 B.C. when it was pretty much leveled and decimated by another group of people called the Babylonians. At that time, the, the temple was demolished, the walls of the city were broken down, and the Bible says that its gates were burned. Many of the leading Jews of, of that day were, were led away captive uh, to Babylon. But after several years, yet another group of folks known as the Persians broke the uh, Babylonian supremacy. And they allowed some of those captive Jews to go back to Jerusalem, which they did. And once they got there, they began to rebuild what had been destroyed. But the sheer magnitude of the task caused them to give up. Years passed. The city, still, still broken and burned, was in dire need of rebuilding. Enter Nehemiah. A Jew still in exile. As we read this morning, keep that in mind. He's still in exile. But yet he had a heart that burned for his beloved city. As we will see, Nehemiah was eventually allowed to return to Jerusalem. And he did so armed with a single focused objective to rally the people, rebuild their hope, and ultimately rebuild their city. And he did all of that. And the one reason, or excuse me, one reason, not the single, but one reason he was successful is the same reason anyone is successful in any rebuilding process, and it's this, he started right. What we're going to learn in the, in the first few verses of Nehemiah chapter 1 is the importance of starting right. Now let me just uh, take a little survey here. How many golfers do we have in here today? Raise your hand. Raise them high. All right. Fairly, fairly good number. Now I'll be honest. I have never been a good golfer. I've golfed, but I've never really been good at it. And there's one big reason for that. Well, there are a lot of reasons. But there's one big reason why I've never been good at golf, and that's because I've never been able to start right. Translated, my tee shot is horrendous. It's like I yell four before I ever swing. Sometimes it's like, move! I mean, it, it's, it's bad. And any good golfer knows that, shot, that first shot generally determines how well you play the rest of the hole. 
So if you drive the ball into the woods, which doesn't happen often in liberal, <laughs> but just go with me, okay? If you drive the ball into the woods, then you've got to scramble with a second and often a third, <laughs> in my case, a fourth and a fifth and a sixth shot, and finally a shoe wedge. I've been playing with Jim Potts too long. <laughs> to get the ball into the fairway so you can have a shot at getting it onto the green. Listen, I can turn a par four into a par nine or ten like the best of them. And I keep my own scorecard, so it's always good, but I know it's never that good. But here's the deal. If you drive the ball straight down the fairway the first time, then generally it puts you in pretty good position to get the ball on the green on your second shot. And, and if that happens, then you are well on the way of achieving your goal of par for that hole. But there are a lot of players like yours truly who never really score well because they spend most of their time trying to make up for lost yardage because of poor tee shots. You with me? Now, all of that to say this, getting a good start is essential, whether you're playing golf or whether you're seeking to rebuild a life. Follow with me as I begin reading the first four verses of Nehemiah chapter 1. The word of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, and it came to pass in the month of Chislu in the 20th year as I was in Shushan the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, he and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. So he's talking about those who the Persians said could go back, and they went back, and, and, and for some reason Nehemiah chose not to go back, and he's wondering how things are going. And they said to me, verse 3, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the provinces are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Now before we talk about the essential steps in rebuilding, let me take just a, a moment to address why rebuilding needs to take place. It's the reason it had to take place in Jerusalem, and it's the reason it has to take place in our lives from time to time. Rebuilding has to happen because we have an enemy whose primary goal is destruction. Now, in Nehemiah's case, it was a, a physical, visible enemy. History tells us, as I stated, it was the Babylonians. They were able to overcome the Jews and, and destroy everything they held sacred. 
But in our lives as believers, our enemy is, is, is not physical. He's not visible. But believe me, he is a formidable foe nonetheless. You see, as believers, our enemy is the devil, who Jesus said loves to steal, kill, and destroy. And sadly, he's been far too successful. Over the course of 2019, he's been allowed to get a toehold and, and then a foothold and, and ultimately a stronghold in families and in marriages and in friendships and has done nothing but steal, kill, and destroy. It could be that he's been successful in your life this morning in, in breaking down some some personal walls. For example, perhaps he's broken down the wall over the course of, of the year, the wall of holiness. I'm talking about the way you live, the, the things you do, the things you say, the places you go. Maybe he's broken down um, your commitment to church attendance and, 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 and ministry involvement or perhaps in giving. Listen, if, if any of these things are true, and a number of other things that I'll mention throughout the message this morning, if any of these things are true in your life, then I want to remind you again that it's never too late for a new beginning. But there are three key essentials in, re, in the rebuilding process, and here they are. Write them down this morning. Number one, there must be an honest evaluation. We read Nehemiah asked his brother Hanani for an honest evaluation of the situation in Jerusalem, and Hanani's response broke his heart. The brutal facts were that Jerusalem and those who were living there were in embarrassingly poor shape. Now, here's the one thing that I know about people in general myself included, there are times we just don't like to face the brutal facts. We don't want to face them when it comes to our families. We don't want to face them when it comes to our marriages. We don't want to face the brutal facts when it comes to our finances or in our walk with God. Come on now, no one wants to look in the mirror. Not, none of us enjoy looking in the mirror and honestly confessing that we're not as good a husband or wife or parent or child or Christian as we should be. Nobody likes to admit that. No one wants to face the hard reality of addiction or hypocrisy. But church, that's what has to be done if we're going to rebuild that which has been damaged or destroyed. Now, I would submit to you this morning that a failure to honestly evaluate our current condition is the result of one of three things. And I'll show you from, our, from, from the life of Nehemiah. 
It's either acceptance, apathy, or neglect. One of those three. Acceptance, apathy, or neglect. The sad reality of the situation in Jerusalem, now get this, is that it had been that way for more than 140 years. As bad as things were, those living there at the time had just come to accept them as normal. Well, it's just the way it is. And I want to ask you this morning, have you come to accept some things as they are in your spiritual life, knowing that they are not as they should be according to the Word of God? Maybe you've come to see some things in your life as acceptable simply because they've been that way for a long time. And if that's the case in your life this morning, then I want you to know I'm standing here to sound the alarm and let you know that things like anger and bitterness and unforgiveness and a critical spirit and spiritual laziness are not acceptable. It doesn't matter how long it's been that way in your spiritual life. It doesn't matter that you've just learned to tolerate them as okay. When Nehemiah heard the news about how things were back in Jerusalem, we read it, it crushed his heart. So much so that he sat down and he cried and he fasted and he prayed. When's the last time you were affected in that way about the broken things in your life? I'm going to guess that for some here, it's been far too long. Sadly, you've just come to accept things as they are, and you really don't care if they change. You say, well, preacher, how can you know that's true about me? Well, I'm just going to throw out one thing this morning that I observe here on a regular basis every Sunday that give me an indication at least that maybe some of us have just become too apathetic about our spiritual life. Because I see it happen here on Sunday morning. I see it happen here on Sunday evenings. I see it happen here on some Wednesdays. And it has to do with our lack of response during the invitation. Now, I get it. You can go to a lot of churches, and they don't give a public invitation anymore, and shame on them. Shame on them. Because public preaching calls for a public response. Just study the life and ministry and preaching of Jesus. He was forever calling people to respond. 
And I'm not mad this morning, I'm not angry this morning, but I will be honest with you, years ago, early on in my preaching ministry, it just infuriated me. When I thought people should have come to the altar and they didn't come. But listen, I'm way past that. I'm not apathetic about it. I just understand that's not on me. My responsibility is to preach. Your responsibility is to respond. I'll answer for me. You'll answer for you. Can I just shoot straight with you this morning? Thank you. You're hard-pressed to convince me that with the hundreds of messages that were preached from this pulpit in 2019, covering hundreds of different topics, that there wasn't at least one time that God didn't point his finger at you and say, that's you. Come on now. Hundreds of messages. Hundreds of different topics. And yet you can honestly say, you know, <laughs> preach it out one time. God never addressed anything in my heart from the pulpit. Liar, liar, pants on fire. I'm just, I'm just being honest with you today. You know why we don't do that? Because we're apathetic. Nah. Whatever. We shouldn't be that way. Listen, there, there are a lot of a lot of reasons why we invite people to come and pray. And we had a good move to the altar this morning, and, and that's all well and good. And, and, and it was a different, different set of circumstances. This is another set of circumstances where the preacher is preaching the Word of God. Listen, I'm the pastor of this church. I've been doing this for nearly 40 years, and there are times when, when, when Pastor Tyler or other men will stand and preach and will hit me right between the eyes. And I come, because I need to. And I'm not trying to gender a huge response this morning. Again, that's on you. It's not on me, but here's what I'm saying. That's an evidence of sometimes we become apathetic in our spiritual life. When God smites our heart through the Spirit of, his, uh, of the Lord and He convicts us about an area in our life and we don't respond. And I know, well, preacher, I take care of it in my chair. We could argue about that. But here's what I know about bowing a knee it's a sign of submission, it's a sign of humility. It's a sign of saying, God, I need you. And I get their health issues and all of that. I, I get all of that. I'm speaking in a general sense this morning. That sometimes we just get apathetic. And then sometimes it's due to neglect. And, and we'll not take time this morning to go over and read 
uh, the book of Haggai. I would encourage you to do that. It's only three or four chapters. Uh, but the prophet Haggai called out the Jews during the time of Nehemiah because they had forgotten their God and neglected the rebuilding process, choosing instead to focus on their own interest. And you can read it there if you want. Haggai just, I mean, he, you say, well, preacher, you're being awful pointed this morning. Then go read the book of Haggai. Haggai calls them out. He says, hey, you're living in these sealed houses and these wonderful houses, and my house is still laying waste. Now, now understand this. Their lack of interest in rebuilding didn't come all at once. No doubt it was a, a slow fade over time, just as a Christian's drift away from the Lord is, is most of the time just a slow fade. Marriages don't go bad in a moment's time. They get there because of continued neglect. Families don't deteriorate all at once. They get there slowly as people put their own interest before the needs of other family members. A church member doesn't just wake up one day and decide that church isn't important anymore. No, they gradually get there by putting their own interests ahead of the things of the Lord. Your spiritual life begins to crumble when you start blowing off uh, uh, time with God to chase after your career or your hobbies or your child's activities or whatever. And before you know it, something that used to be a priority in your life just isn't a priority anymore. And if you want to get back to where you need to be, then you need to make an honest evaluation of yourself and your walk with God. And when you do, here's, here's the second key essential. You must be open to the Spirit's conviction. Here's what that means. It means that when God points a finger at you and says that's what's wrong in your life, when God, through His Holy Spirit, says, here's a wall that has been broken down, when He says, here's a sin that you need to deal with it, then you need to respond in the right way. Nehemiah's response to the news of the broken down condition of Israel was immediate. In his prayer, which we'll study next week, he said, both I and my father's house have sinned. That's being open to the Spirit's conviction. Now, real quick, I want to I jump out of the book of Nehemiah and into the New Testament for just a minute because I want to show you a couple of verses that, that Paul wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and it talks about the conviction of the Lord and the rebuke of the Lord and when God points out things in our life. And he shares with us a couple of, of wrong responses to the Spirit's conviction. I'll put it on the screen. 
Paul writes this, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. The first wrong response to God's conviction is to just blow it off. The word despise in verse 5 means to have little regard for. It means to disesteem. To despise God's voice is to just shrug our shoulders and to say, in effect, eh, whatever. It's, it, listen, it's to know what God is saying is right and what he is pointing out is sin is sin. But as I said earlier, we just don't care to deal with it. That's a wrong response to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But then here's the other wrong response, and it is to faint, to just throw in the towel and, 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 and give up and just throw this huge pity party where you just beat yourself up and you write yourself off as worthless and no good and, 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 and not worthy of forgiveness, not worthy of another chance. And you just, well, I'm just worthless and I'm no good and I can never be any good and I can never do right. Listen, when God points out sin in our lives and areas where we need to become careless, listen to me, church, it's not to beat us down or destroy us. It's to help us. As we sing often at Fellowship Baptist Church, God is a good, good Father who loves us and wants to bless us. That's why he convicts us. I mean, just think of it in these terms. Any good mother, any good father who sees their son or daughter going astray or doing something that, that is not good for them or that might lead them in a direction they shouldn't go, any good mom or dad is going to sit them down and, and, and talk with them and point out, listen, you're going the wrong way. And sometimes when, when, when they need it, sometimes there's just a harsh rebuke. Now listen, I've got, I've got mixed emotions as a, as a papa slash pastor. When I, when I see my grandchildren being rebuked, the papa side of me says, leave them alone, it's not that big a deal. The pastor side of me says, that's great parenting. Those kids are going to have a chance. Because they've got parents who are not afraid to lower the boom. And I appreciate that from a pastoral perspective. I hate it as a papa. But as a pastor, it's good parenting. And I love to see that. And, and listen, when God, sometimes God has to come to us, and sometimes he just has to lay the smack down. Come on. Sometimes he just needs to get in our face and say, you need to get your act together. And then there's sometimes, like this morning in, in Bible study, if you missed that, man, you missed, you missed Bible gold this morning. Mercy. Sometimes it's gentle. And it's instructive. 
And then sometimes it's like this morning where the preacher gets all up in your grill. And sometimes God works with us both ways. Sometimes it's kind and gentle and it's instructive. And then sometimes, I don't know about you, maybe it's just me because I'm a knucklehead. Sometimes, boom, he lays the smack down and leaves no question. It's not like, God, uh, was that for me? Uh, No, he goes, that's for you. And there's one or two ways we can respond badly. We can just blow it off or we can just melt down. But real quick, there is, a, there is a third way to respond. And really, it's, it's the best way. It's the right way. And it leads us into the third essential in the rebuilding process. And it's simply this. There must be a willingness to change. If we're going to rebuild, we've got to, we, there has to be, first and foremost, an honest evaluation of where we are no holds barred whether we like it or not where we are as a husband a father a wife a mother a parent a child a deacon a staff member a ministry person a church member a christian where are we and by the way the where are we is not based on your standard well i think i'm okay it's not what you think it's what God thinks. Well, I'm, I'm, it's not like Rick looking across the aisle and saying, well, I'm, I'm, I'm better than Junior. Well, I'm better than Hitler. So I must be okay. No, it's, it's where are you? Miss Junior, where are you? I just threw those guys out there. They didn't know I was going to do that. But you know what I'm saying? So when I say an honest evaluation, I'm saying, looking in this mirror, God, where am I? And then as God shows us and convicts us about that, we've got to be open to that. Don't just blow it off. Don't melt down and just say, I'm worthless and never amount to anything. But no, here, here, here it is. Okay, God, show me where I'm at as a husband, a father, a church member, whatever. God, show me where I'm at. And when he does, we need to be willing to make the change. And honestly, this is where it gets real. It's one thing to see yourself as you really are before the Lord and for him to convict you. But are you willing to change? Referencing back to the ministry of Haggai the prophet. Again, I'd encourage you to go home and read it. It's just three or four chapters. Very short book. But his message that he delivered to the people concerning the rebuilding of Jerusalem was unmistakably clear. It was simple and it was straightforward. And here's the best part, church. The people responded. We're going to see that. They made the changes necessary to get the wall built. And and here's here's what we're going to learn. I'll I'll just give you a little preview. What could not be done in more than 140 years was done in 52 days. When the people got their act together and they evaluated where they were and where they needed to be, they made the changes that through the physical act of rebuilding the temple, 
the people began to indicate a shift in their spiritual lives from devotion to self toward devotion to God. And when they made that change, the wall got built in less than two months. I wonder how many among us today, as we prepare for the invitation, how many among us today are, are willing to say, I know that there are some things that are broken in my life. And I confess that before the Lord. And with His help, I'm going to begin to rebuild those things today. Because I know that it's never too late for a new beginning. Perhaps it's a husband and wife who've let some things slip in their marriage and today you're ready to start rebuilding because it's never too late for a new beginning. Maybe as a husband you've not led well in spiritual things and, and your family has suffered for it and today you're going to do what you can do to clean things up and start rebuilding because it's never too late for a new beginning. Maybe as a wife, you've not given your husband the support he needs at home in, in trying to lead well, and, and that has ill-affected your family. Today's a great opportunity to respond to the Lord and to set some things straight because it's never too late for a new beginning. There could be some teenagers here this morning who've not followed up with the commitments that you made at camp last summer. Maybe because of apathy or acceptance or neglect, you've just let those things slide. Listen, you don't have to wait till next camp to rebuild. Today's a great day because it's never too late for a new beginning. It could be some spiritual discipline that, that you've let slip that you committed last year in January that you were going to do. Maybe it was pray more or read your Bible more or tithe or, or, or be more faithful to church. And, and at some point in the year, all of that began to, uh, began to break down. Hey, it's never too late for a new beginning. In a crowd this size, there are no doubt some relationships in your life Maybe some friendships that have been fractured. And the Lord's word to you this morning is that you need to take the first step in the rebuilding process because you know in your heart it's never too late for a new beginning. Maybe your new beginning today is to join Fellowship Baptist Church. You've thought about it for a long time now. It's something that, that you've wanted to do, and in your heart you know it's something you need to do, then just do it today. Let it be known today. And last but certainly not least, because this is the most important decision that you'll make, not in just 2020, but in your entire life, and that is to receive Christ 
as your Savior. Maybe you came here today lost, without a relationship with Christ, and at some point in the last five days, four days, you said, you know what? I'm going to get better. I'm going to be better. I'm going I'm to get my life together. And somehow you knew that the best thing you could do was find a church and go to it, and God led you here. Let me tell you something. The rebuilding process starts with the acceptance of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. There are any number of people in here today that could stand and give testimony. The day my life changed was the day I gave my heart to Christ. And if that's where you are this morning, we'd love to have the opportunity to help you make that decision. We'll not embarrass you. You don't have to stand in front of anybody. You don't have to say anything. In the privacy of, of another room, we'd love to open the Word of God and show you how you can be a Christian today. Show you how you can begin the rebuilding process the right way. And that is on the foundation of Jesus Christ. So I'm going to ask you to stand. And if you have a need today, especially salvation, I'd ask you to come. I'll meet you right down here in the front. Have a man pray with you if you're a man, a woman if you're a woman. And we'll do it in the privacy of a, another part of the building. If you have a need today, you don't have to wait for me to pray or Tyler to sing. You can just come now. But today is the day that you're going to say, I'm going to rebuild with God's help. I'm going to rebuild because there are some broken things in my life. Husband, you can lead the way today. That'd be a great example for your wife, for your children, for dad to say, hey, let's go pray. If your children aren't here, take your wife. Let's pray. Father, I come before you today.